Moving on to March chapter 1, going to be reading verses 32 through 39. Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. Listen carefully to the holy word of God. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick and various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we We ask that by thy spirit we would enter into the ministry of our beloved Savior. What a ministry it is. It is his spirit who has come and drawn us even this morning to hear about the gospel that he proclaimed and that he himself performed. We ask, O God, that our hearts would be edified. In Christ's name, amen. Congregation, we have noted that from chapter 1, verses 21 through 31, Mark is placing before his reader the scope of Christ's entire ministry of the gospel of God on this Jewish Sabbath day. But also the eternal Sabbath is previewed before you. In scripture we are told about the eternal Sabbath. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will never pass away. Christ reveals this truth as he, the word of God, proclaims the word of God in the synagogue. Then Christ rebukes the demon, we saw that, and casts him out of the man. Indeed, the final Sabbath of heavenly glory, Satan and his minions have no place in heaven. Finally, as you enter that final resting place, 
of God in terms of the heavenly rest, Christ's service to his church will extinguish the curse of the fall. No more sin. No more tears. No more pain. No more illness. No more death. Previewed in Christ healing Peter's mother-in-law. A response to such a great salvation is embodied in Peter's mother-in-law. The one who has been so gloriously served by Christ now serves Christ and the church. The one served becomes the servant. The one served becomes the servant. Mark's powerful introduction encompassing the activity of Christ, the Son of God, on the Jewish Sabbath has brought us into the foretaste of our final Sabbath rest at the beginning of his ministry. As we enter the text this morning at verse 32, the Jewish Sabbath has ended. Note that evening at sundown. As you may know, I'm sure you are familiar with the idea that the Jewish Sabbath was basically understood of going from sunset to sunset. At this point, Mark is noting for us evening at sunset. That the Jewish people knew that Jesus could now engage in healing according to the laws that had been set forth by the rabbis. So as you can see, the sick or those oppressed with demons were brought to him. Mark is moving the reader out of the Jewish Sabbath into Christ's daily authority service in ministry of the good news of the gospel of God, the gospel of the kingdom. But Mark is also maintaining that the people do not truly understand who Jesus is. As Peter feeds the story to Mark in verses 29 through 39, Peter never uses the name Christ or Jesus to refer to his person. Remember from last week, we pointed out that in this section, you only have the reference to he, him, you, is used at this initial point of Christ's appearance. Mark through Peter notes that the lack of understanding Christ's identity and purpose will characterize the ministry of Christ. Although Christ's ministry is characterized by mystery and conflict, Christ's true identity is understood by Jesus himself. There's no mistake about Jesus' own understanding concerning his identity. 
that Jesus himself understands his true identity as well as his overall mission to move the cosmic battle between himself and Satan from the wilderness. Verses 12 and 13 of the first chapter. Into the eternal Sabbath rest. Mark is inviting you to read his gospel in repentance and faith. As he draws out before you Christ's own messianic consciousness. That he is truly the son of God. Whom whom the heavenly father is well pleased. Chapter 1, verse 11. And that the mystery of his mission becomes more fully revealed by the end of his gospel. In our text this morning, verses 32 through 39, there are a number of important elements to note that will remain before us throughout his gospel. First, as you look at verse 32, they brought to him the sick and the oppre- and those possessed by de- demons. This distinction, this distinction between the sick and the ill and those possessed by demons will be maintained throughout Mark's gospel. The distinction is separate because of the different approach that Christ will make to each of these groups. It is typical, but not always, for Jesus to touch, to touch the person of healing. Verse 31, for example, he does that with Peter's mother-in-law. On the other hand, when Christ performs an exorcism, he simply uses a command directly to the demon. For example, you saw that in verse 26 of the first chapter, and it's clearly implied here in verse 34. There is one exception in Mark's gospel concerning that. It's found in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Meanwhile, you cannot miss it. Christ alone has the authority. He has the power to confront, to conquer these two groups, which have cosmic ramifications First of all, the wasting away of the human flesh towards death because of Adam's fall. And secondly, Adam, the, secondly, Satan and his demonic forces that continue their seductive powers in the present evil age. In the first, Christ's actions points to the restoration of the soul and body at the final resurrection of the body of believers. In the second, Christ must meet the principalities and powers of the air in conquering defeat. One final observation here about the importance of Mark keeping keeping these two groups 
of Christ's ministry distinct through his gospel. It was not uncommon in the ancient world to believe that every physical affliction is a result of demonic action upon the human body. Such a position is not Christian and is absolutely contrary to biblical revelation as Christ's ministry truly testifies. Well, the second overall point that we want to note in verses 32 through 39 is this. There is no indication in Mark's narrative that Christ went looking for patients who had some type of illness. This may take you back a little bit in terms of your thinking of Christ's ministry to those who are ill. But there is no indication in Mark's narrative that Christ went looking for patients who had some type of illness. Rather, they are either in the place where he appears, like Peter's mother-in-law, verse 30, or they come or are brought to him. Let me give a few quick examples in close proximity of our text concerning this point. Of course, of course verse 32, notice that in terms of our text this morning. They brought to him the sick. Now note verse 40, in terms of our message next week, Lord willing. And a leper came to him. Now, if you want to jump over to 2-3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic. Why is this important? Because a close analysis of Mark's infallible presentation does not present Jesus on a healing campaign. Many Christians get sidetracked at this very point concerning the ministry of Jesus Christ. They focus so much upon Christ's healing ministry that many churches and ministers emphasize the sensationalism of healing more than preaching. Many televangelists, as you would know, are relevant at this point as well as churches accenting a Pentecostal type of ministry. Although Mark leads off his gospel with the scope of Christ's authority and power through teaching and preaching, showing his control over Satan and his ability to restore the weakness of the body, nevertheless, the longevity, the longevity and centrality of the effects of Christ's ministry to the church through his spirit is clearly laid out before us in his earthly ministry. Just look down at verse 38 to see this point. Christ tells these initial disciples that he is now going to leave Capernaum and go to other towns in Galilee. Why is he going to do this? 
What is the reason for him leaving Capernaum? To preach the good news that is found in the gospel of God, that is found only in him, in his kingdom. That is clear in verse 38. And don't miss this, you want to understand that as he says that in verse 38, that this reflects back, reflects back on exactly what he has said in verses 14 and 15 about preaching and the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of God. Oh yes, as he preaches He will also exercise his power over demons. Verse 39. This power over the demons is right next to his preaching. It is in the context of preaching the gospel that the forces of Satan are suppressed. Christ launches this connection between preaching and the defeat of Satan. And this connection will continue for the apostles. But it will fade out of sight in the post-apostolic era. The post-apostolic church. As the Spirit descended upon Christ at his baptism... And led him into the wilderness to stand firm against Satan. This same spirit will descend upon the church. Providing the apostles with the power over Satan. In much the same manner as Christ. As you see the ministry of the apostles evolve. But as the apostles die. The spirit's work will concentrate upon the hearts of sinners the hearts of sinners saving them and protecting them from satan by virtue of the purpose for which christ was sent in his earthly ministry that purpose is the preaching and the living out of the scriptures The word which the Spirit of God is the final author. If there's any doubt about this in terms of Mark's gospel, you can see the point even further underlined in Luke's gospel in that wonderful text in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, where Christ explicitly says that he came into the world to preach. To preach the gospel. Herein lies the longevity of Christ's ministry to his flock until he comes again. It is why this church focuses upon the preaching of the word as a direct as a direct outreach of Christ's own word to us. You see, we must tie verse 38 to verses 14 and 15 in the preaching of the gospel. Every person, every person who 
is faced with the preaching of the gospel, is faced with the internal decision. Internal decision. That's Jesus as rabbi. The internal decision in terms of his word. It's being addressed to the hearts of the people of God who hear the preaching of the word each Lord's day. And that is to repent and believe the good news that is only found in Christ. The third overall point as to what we want to note in verses 32 through 39, is this. As we enter carefully into the flow of Mark's narrative, there is no indication that the people are pursuing Jesus because they truly understand his identity as the Christ, the Son of God. Nor is it because they truly understand the nature of his ministry. They are pursuing him because word has spread that he is a miracle worker. If you are a person with a serious illness, humanly it would make sense that you would seek Jesus out. It may be possible that you are one who would get healed. Human curiosity would not turn a closed eye to this situation if one sensed the possibility of help. Just think in terms of the weakness that you experience when you are ill. It does make sense, does it not? That if there's a miracle worker around, you would pursue him. See if you could get better. He would possibly see you. The human spirit here is exposed. These people seek Jesus because they are in pain and want relief. They do not perceive. They do not understand the organic relationship. The organic relationship between the spiritual and the physical in Christ's redeeming ministry. They isolate upon the earthly pursuits of their body not their more serious need, which is the good news in Christ, a supernatural rest and an eternal inheritance of Christ's own person. That's not what their interest is. The fourth point worth noting in verses 32 through 39 is this. Christ's departure from the crowd in going to pray. Mark records Christ praying on three occasions in his gospel. You have one of those before you in chapter 1, verse 35. The second one is chapter 6, verse 46. 
and then chapter 14, verse 32 through 42. Indeed, Christ removes himself from the crowd in his initial disciples while it is still dark. Mark's interest is not that he goes to a place of solitude because he is exhausted and needs a break from the hassles of the day. The Greek here is critical. Is critical. And understanding what is occurring here in the text in terms of how Mark is organizing this in his narrative. Here the ESV's translation of the phrase, a desolate place, is not, is not the best translation. The literal translation is wilderness, desert place. Wilderness, desert place. Christ departed and went out to a wilderness, desert place, and there he prayed. Verse 35. Now I ask you once again, are you thinking Christ's action places us back in Mark's wilderness theme? This is done on purpose. This is done on purpose. The Holy Spirit through Mark. This is going back in terms of expositing Mark's wilderness theme, specifically Christ's temptation with Satan in verses 12 and 13. We now have further insight here, as to why Mark does not record any dialogue between Christ and Satan in the temptation. Mark will accent Christ's continual battle with Satan throughout the book. It is still dark. Reminding us of the wilderness theme until the final victory of Christ's death and resurrection. This wilderness theme also gives us insight into the nature of Christ's prayer. That he is being sustained by the Father and the Holy Spirit in maintaining his focus, his commitment to the will of the Father who takes him all the way to the cross. At the cross, Christ will endure the judgment of God on behalf of sinners who live in the wilderness. Those living the life of grumbling and complaining without being satisfied with the provisions of the sole God of the universe. By nature, that is each one of us, is it not? Each one of us, by nature, are the same type of people that Israel was 
in the wilderness, grumbling and complaining. Christ, in submitting to the will of his Father, continues to go into the wilderness to pour out his heart for the power, the strength, the perseverance to set his own will upon being the perfect sacrifice for the church whom his father has chosen in him before the foundation of the earth. Indeed, it is prayer about his head-to-head confrontation with Satan, making his journey to the cross for the sake of the body of Christ for you, the church. And Peter and those initial disciples in the text, they're disgruntled. They need to track him down. It's the force of the Greek text here. They're disgruntled. They're trying to track him down. In trying to find him, they unknowingly have entered into, guess where they're going? They have entered into the wilderness as essential part of Christ's prayer life for each of them. Are you seeing it? They're coming into the wilderness. Christ is praying for them. An intercessory prayer life. In order to move forward in the triumph of Christ's kingdom and church over the evil one. There is a very interesting text in Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to give more attention to it as we come to the table this morning. The Lord tells Judah that he cannot listen to their prayers anymore because their sacrifices and offerings are abominations in view of their gross iniquity. Out of these solemn prophetic words comes the one who is from where? You know where he comes from, don't you? He comes from the tribe of Judah. Who will be both offering and sacrifice that will please the eyes of his heavenly Father because the righteousness of God permanently lodges, lodges within Christ, the sacrifice of justice. Christ is assuring his precious children, that is you, this morning, his precious children, that if you have entered into the decision of Christ's preaching, repent and believe, 
that though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. That is what you have in Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful. It is comprehensive. We are so thankful that we see that we go here in terms of the message of Mark upon which the Holy Spirit is placed upon his heart. We go from the preaching of the word that is centered in Christ to the battle of Satan, the triumph of the kingdom and the gospel to the point of our service in his kingdom. We have been cleansed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What a marvelous gospel we have. In Christ's name, amen.